0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience on this busy Wednesday, May the 15th. Lots going on today. Tons of stuff to talk about. So much to speak when it comes to the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God, I am telling you, um, man, with this rhino rampage going on, I could probably do three hours today, but I got to do Steve Dace, got a couple of other hits to do. Got a lot of research, interviews, writings, tons of things, but I want to fit in our daily town hall into the schedule today, all under the theme of the rhino surge, the rhino rampage in the Senate. The hits keep coming, folks. Nothing will change unless we change the Republicans in the Senate. I can guarantee you that. That is very clear. Now, a lot going on. First of all, today is just a happy birthday to my oldest son, Ezra. He's nine years old today. It's unbelievable. Nine years ago today, I became a father, changed my life forever, and boy, does time fly since then. And, you know, I want to give over to my children the America that even at my relatively young age grew up with that had some semblance of uniqueness to it relative to other countries. And we're rapidly losing that with our lack of freedom, with the debt, and with our stolen sovereignty. So what do we have going on? couple things. I want to start off with one story that i think is really important because it speaks to the failure of republicans the failure of conservative media and that is straight up a new poll from harvard harvard harris they conduct these polls every so often every month about you know where people stand on issues And it turns out just 13% of people realize how many people are coming in through our border. Just 2 in 15 got the answer correct of how many illegal aliens are coming over. Few people realize how bad the situation is. 76% of people gave answers that were well under current levels when asked how many illegal immigrants are coming over the border. And what this demonstrates to me is something I've long suspected. Those of you who are big fans of this show, you're living in a bubble. Because you're living in a bubble of truth where we have covered every angle of this border invasion and all of its cascading effects. And just how dangerous they are to Americans. But where are the Republican senators? Where are the Republican congressmen? Where are the conservative organizations? Where's the conservative media? Building a steady drumbeat. Instead, we've got nothing but Mueller, 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 day and night. What's funny is, you'll some of you will see me on Steve Day's show commenting on this. But in Iowa, they did a focus group kind of study poll of, of people that specifically voted in Iowa, which is a swing state, who voted for Obama in 2012 and Trump for 2016. So those are really the most important voters that you, know, you want to target in terms of uh, determining the outcome of 2020. And they all said they just don't care about Mueller. So certainly that is a warning sign for Democrats who want to run on that. But likewise, we don't need to defend against that night and day because no one cares about that. Imagine if we would have spent the time demonstrating to the American people the degree of problems from the criminal aliens, the cartels, the drugs, the gangs. How much of this is going to affect their schools, the health Risks, the contagious diseases, all the stuff we've been reporting on. But nothing. There's no effort being done on this. Now, I want to get back to immigration in a minute as one of the many items in the Rhino Rampage. But I first want to start off before we go through the news of what is going on in the Senate. Multiple issues. I want to start off with something else I'm going to write about today. And that is AP is reporting that Mike Pence is going to headline a fundraiser for Tom Tillis together with the RNC and Trump's campaign committee in Greensboro, North Carolina. It's going to be next week, May 22nd. Some of you might know that Tillis has already gotten a legitimate primary challenger. His name is Garland Tucker. I don't know much about him, and I'm going to count on some of you guys to help me research this. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I don't know if this guy is all kind of all there. There's some disturbing things from his past that you know he supported Rubio, wasn't necessarily criticizing Trump in the right ways, was more kind of like a never-Trumper. And I know Tillis is certainly going to use that against him. But he certainly is right now running to Tillis's right. And Tillis is horrendous. He has a 38 Liberty score. He's a social liberal, a fiscal liberal, a national security liberal. He's a pro-amnesty hack. He bites Trump in the back every other day. But yet Trump supports him. I mean, this is a clear signal from the White House that they're supporting it. Now, again, I, before we get into Garland Tucker, you know, I'm hearing there might be other people jumping into the race, which is a good thing. But the key here is that if Trump wants to have a monicum of success in his second term, let's say they win back the House. Let's say he wins a re-election. Now, forget about the fact that even the House Republicans, so who's going to be Speaker? Kevin McCarthy, because we're never going to challenge that. But even Kevin McCarthy looks like Jesse Helms compared to Senate Republicans. They're really bad. And as we noted, there's about 10 of these clowns up for re-election, or some of them are open seats to retiring. In states where Trump won, many of them by significant margins. North Carolina obviously was close. But it's, it's all over the map. All over the map. Okay? And ask yourself this question. This is the fundamental question all of us continuously ask. What exactly is going to change potentially, in a Trump second term that is better than the first two years of the first term where they officially controlled all three branches. Yet, Congress refused to even conduct votes on legitimate things, much less pass them. They gave the Democrats everything they wanted on every single budget, and the budget is pretty much all your leverage. It's everything. It's all legislative issues. Eight, nine times, debt ceilings, budgets, How is that going to change? Even in the best case scenario, the best outcome of the 2020 elections, how is that going to change? The only way you could even begin to change anything is if you replace some of these rhinos with with more aggressive conservatives that at least support the president's campaign promises. But again, I mean, it's all over. It's Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. It's Mike Rounds in, in South Dakota. It's John Cornyn in Texas. It's Mitch McConnell. Shelley Moore Capito in West Virginia. Trump needs to get involved. I mean, we've noted before I could write a book on it, how it's impossible to defeat rhinos in a Senate primary. It's just impossible. It's impossible to get the money, the name ID. Either way, they the get everyone to gang up on you. It's just so hard to win. Trump could single-handedly change that. Were he to endorse conservative challengers, it would completely change the game. If he were to put out the message that he'd be open to endorsing it, so many more people would then run. A lot of people aren't even running. There's no recruitment because they know it's a fool's errand. But if Trump would prospectively signal that he would support challengers these people, if he started trashing some of these people and saying we could do better, things would change. But the problem is, Trump is a double-edged sword. If he doesn't support you, and he backs the incumbent, then that's the kiss of death. Then the 5% chance you had to possibly launch a legitimate candidacy, you're done. There's no way you could win. He's he's still the biggest thing in Republican politics. There's no way you could win. And we had that in, in the 2018 primaries. How Senate races, he backed all these rhinos. Jared convinced him and other people and whatever. So, look, I know it's too much of an imperfect world to expect him to endorse against these people. You know, say he himself is going to have a tough reelection. Some of these states, like North Carolina, it's kind of close. He can't alienate certain Republicans and risk losing this. Okay, whatever. But at the very least, stay neutral. But if you allow people like Tillis to tout Trump's endorsement and, you know, at least have a fundraiser with Mike Pence, you're done. There's no way anyone could could win. And if there's no way they could win, what's going to change? So that that's just to set the table here. Trump needs to change his attitude and his strategy in these Senate primaries if he expects to get a different result. So let's go through some of what's going on. Budget. The president keeps putting out budgets and Republicans join Democrats in Congress in increasing spending in everything he plans to cut. Trump very adamantly says he doesn't want to give more aid to Puerto Rico. Okay, remember that on Friday, Democrats passed this $19 billion aid package after we've already spent $118 billion the last two years on disaster aid on top of the regular appropriations for HUD and transportation and ag and all these agencies getting the money. They're flush with record funding. Yet Republicans have now said... They're moving closer to the Democrat position. They're about to cut a deal with them and pass this disaster bill. Um, There is some good news, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said on the Senate floor Tuesday. This is CQ. I am encouraged that Republicans have moved in our direction when it comes to Puerto Rico. I hope we can find agreement and put this totally unnecessary political fight behind us and finally deliver relief to disaster-stricken Americans, wherever they may be. Yeah, deliver relief to special interests. So... I mean, Trump looks like a fool every time he gets aggressive and then, you know, he winds up signing them. Now, look, some of this Trump needs to be more aggressive, as we've said a number of times, in threatening a veto and telling McConnell, look, if you pass this, I will veto it. The problem is he backs down. But. Nonetheless, I mean, just putting Trump aside, there is no difference between Republicans and Democrats on fiscal issues. There just isn't. Then you have, so that's with that. Then you have the bigger spending issue. That's just the, the, the supplemental disaster bill. This is the big, you know, September is the big enchilada. You're going to have both the debt ceiling and the budget bill. Okay, so two big opportunities to have a fight over your fundamental issues. And this ties into the border too. Meaning, at least if Trump is not going to cut spending and agree to Democrat spending levels, at least get your priorities on immigration in the bill. But you know, Mitch McConnell, as always, he exists to ensure that there's no there's no um shutdown. Right? Whatever the Democrats want, he'll give them. Okay? Whatever they want, he'll give them. So he's out there already willing to bust the budget caps. Now, as you well know, Republicans are already spending, right? The annual spending is now about 13, 14% higher than under Obama's final year. We went out of our minds. We spawned the whole Tea Party movement over the spending in Obama's era. And now the budget deficits and the spending is worse now than under Obama, even though to be fair, under Obama we did have a severe recession where usually you have to spend more money, more people unemployed, more people on government programs. Now everyone agrees it's a it's a boom period where you could come to the American people with a very understandable message of look, there's so much opportunity, let's ha- let's take advantage of it, get a job, not a welfare check. Now is the perfect time to have welfare reform, cut spending. No. They increase spending they, beyond anything in the 2017-2018 budget bills. Okay, those agreements run out. So normally you're never gonna get spending cuts past Congress. You're just you're just not. But here you get them for free automatically. Why? So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Um automatically the deal expires this September and the 2011 budget control, they didn't fully repeal the budget caps from 2011. They suspended them for two years. So come September 30th, they expire. What does that mean? That mean, means that defense and non-defense discretionary spending automatically drops $35 billion beginning October 1st. And then beginning January 1st of the following year, a couple months later, sequestration kicks in and cuts another $89 billion. So it will result in $124 billion less in discretionary spending. So just simply doing nothing, just letting it expire and passing a continuing resolution, you don't even have to do anything, automatically deals with that. The president promised never again. Remember when he promised never again, will he sign a bad budget? Well, he did already. He broke that promise. But here's going to be another opportunity. Or at least, at least if you're going to do that, trade them the $124 billion in increased spending for immigration priorities. At least that. But no. McConnell's working overtime, working overtime to screw us. Okay? So... Where is this? This is from Politico here. Trump receptive to bipartisan deal on budget cuts. President Donald Trump left a meeting with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday morning, seemingly open to a deal with Democrats to raise the budget caps that will cause strict spending cuts in the fall, according to three people familiar with the matter. While Trump did not commit to anything, the president is notably warmer than some of his staff on the possibility of avoiding blunt budget cuts in the fall. Blunt budget cuts. The acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and Vice President Mike Pence interpreted the meeting as Trump's being amenable to a spending deal. I mean, he never holds his lines. But again, this is the problem with the Senate. They just move him to the left. Why not elect more Republican senators? in your mold. Okay, so there's that. Screwing us on the disaster bill, screwing off some budget caps. Then there's another rhino alert, Mitt Romney. Mittens Romney. Romney had another severe conservative moment in case you didn't realize. A very severe conservative. He cast the lone vote, GOP vote, against the judicial pick because of, quote, disparaging comments about Obama. Now, again, the Republican Senate is indistinguishable from the House Democrats. But we were told that the one purpose of having them in there is to confirm nominees. That's basically the purpose of Republicans having the Senate. So now you have... It's almost like they alternate. They t- the rhinos take turns. Which one's going to sandbag another one? You have Tim Scott doing his thing. Marco Rubio sometimes does his thing. So this was Mitt Romney. Now they did ultimately vote to confirm in forty nine to forty six, Michael Trunkle of um, this is a vacancy for the Eastern District of Texas, and um, basically. Mitt Romney um, told Politico that he voted against him because uh, he made particularly disparaging comments about President Obama. And as the Republican nominee for president, I just couldn't subscribe to that in a federal judge. Oh, meaning because I ran for president, so I know how how much it hurts to criticize a president. What? But here's the broader point. President Trump backed Mitt Romney. Now, there was a primary challenge of a guy in the Utah legislature. It was an open seat. But the minute Trump endorsed Romney, it was over for the guy. I mean, this is not even a matter of conservative. I know Trump gets very personal. So do it for personal reasons. Why are you backing people that bite you in the in the in the tush? I mean, really? So it's the same thing. Backs Romney, backs Tillis. Let's move on. Then we got Lindsey Lindsay Gramnesty. So Jared Kushner met with Republican senators to promote his um. His uh stupid, distracting immigration bill or whatever. We'll get to that in a moment. The broader issue on that. But um it was reported yesterday. this is Tel Copin, the Washington correspondent for San Francisco Chronicle, that Lindsey Graham said, that the Kushner plan isn't designed to get Democrats. It's a goal to unify Republicans. And he said that in order to get a real deal, we need something that resembles the gang of aid. And we need to, quote, have a conversation on the 11 million. Could you believe this? We have a flood at our border now, and he's worried about how much amnesty to give those already here. Are you kidding me? Lindsey Graham-Misty has not changed one bit. But again, this is the failure of this phony conservative movement that spent the entire last year pumping up Graham's numbers, ironically of all things over Kavanaugh, who himself is now screwing us. That's the reverse patent. Remember, Patton said, "Die, let make the other SOB die for his country? Well, we do the reverse patent. We like to die for the other people's ideology, not for our own. So because he had some like aggressive comments in defense of Kavanaugh, so, and, and he's kissing up to Trump on what? Mueller, the FBI Hillary scandal. It's all that stuff that matters to the conservative media, but on the actual policies that matter, and the actual Trump campaign promises on the issues that we care about, Lindsey Grahamnesty is the same Grahamnesty. And that's with him facing a potential primary challenge and up for re-election. The minute he passes through that, he'll trash Trump openly. He's an agent of Cutter, so he's totally against any realist foreign policy that Trump would change directions on. He's going to fight him tooth and nail on that. But Trump's now closed with the I mean, this is what I just don't understand. If you're not going to veto the rhino rampage and stand up to them directly because you feel like, oh, you're too influenced by them or there's what could I do? This is what the Senate wants to do. At least work to change the members of the Senate. Or at least at the very least, if you're too scared to do that, just don't support them. Just be neutral. But again, in order for him to change strategies in electoral politics with Senate primaries, he's going to have to change personnel in his White House. And that begins with this stupid Jared Kushner, which gets me to Kushner. Let's talk broadly about where I think this rhino rampage is taking us. With Graham and Kushner, what's going on? So you have to hark back to Lindsey Graham's original comments. And I think there's a lot of profundity in Graham's comments about Kushner's plan. He gave away the show. Kushner and Graham are playing good cop, bad cop. Right on the surface, it seems like Graham is like, hey, you know, Kushner's plan's great, but it's it's too Republican. It doesn't have any chance of getting Democrat support because it doesn't address amnesty. But really, he's giving away the farm of what many of us are concerned about with Jared Kushner. Now, let me explain what we're concerned about. It's a very nuanced view, but it's a very important view. It's not straight up like, oh, Kushner is just going to give us garbage. There, There are signs that Kushner... Clearly, and I know for a fact, he has spoken to some of our allies in the movement, small movement that there is. And he understands that certain things are a non-starter with the conservative base. So, therefore, the actual proposal that he will likely come out with, I think, tomorrow, the actual proposal actually is not bad. I don't see anything bad with it, and there's only good with it. Among the good you know it, it it won't be as good as we would want but it's it's not going backwards so you know if you would press a button and enact this stuff into law if you were able to press a button it, it if anything it's good okay so as a baseline it would um <clears throat> it would basically where is this? I mean, it's, it's there's no text or anything, and it's still very fluid. But it would get rid of all the loopholes, go after Asylum, and Flores, and and TPVRA, and, you know, that's the, the unaccompanied alien child thing. And, um yeah, I think it might even supposedly have Sanctuary stuff in there. I mean, pretty much most of the items in the Good Lap bill that we liked, and it won't have Amnesty. And I don't necessarily know yet if it will even have more guest workers. And on the the legal immigration side, the family-based visas, it would make it more of a merit-based system rather than chain migration, albeit they're very clear that it would not reduce the numbers. It would be numbers neutral. Now... Let's just take that face value. Again, I don't have details to work off of. We'll have to speak about that more um, more tomorrow. But from what I can see, there's nothing objectionable about that. okay? I mean, I think we'd all agree we you know, we really need to reduce the numbers, but you know, if the choice is nothing versus having the same numbers but qualitatively better people. More, you know, more high, higher skilled rather than lower skilled. Not increasing on top of the current baseline, but just instead, all right. I mean, I'll take it. So that is, and and then and then more importantly, there's no amnesty. There's no DACA. There's no this. So you know, I don't want to exaggerate the degree of problems with what I have with what Kushner's doing. This in itself is not really a problem. But as we've noted, in order to understand politics, you have to understand policy. In order to understand policy, you have to understand politics. You can't look at something like Amelia Bedelia in a vacuum and naively, you have to be smart. Politics is an art. It's not just a math or a science. It's an art. And you have to understand where things are coming from, where they're headed, who's pushing them, what the strategy is. And I think Lindsey Graham gives it away. That the idea is to get all Republicans united. So... It doesn't increase it doesn't decrease legal immigration. So you're not going to take off the rhinos, but it doesn't increase it and doesn't have amnesty and it fixes some of the loopholes and addresses some of the enforcement things we want. You get all Republicans signed on. Then they say, Okay, now it's time to get Democrats. Then that is the goalpost, that is the rightmost goalpost of negotiations. And then you just negotiate down from there, and there comes the amnesty. But more fundamentally, what bothers me about this, rather than it just being a trap, because I don't really think anything's going to ultimately pass, is that it's a distraction. It's a distraction. It misses the point, and it seeds the moral high ground. It's a distraction, and it seeds the moral high ground. Those are two separate problems. Number one, as we've said before, there is no asylum loophole read current law again if we had 100 votes in the Senate and 435 votes in the House and we could do anything we want maybe there's things we would change and make clearer but we don't and this is never going to get passed everyone agrees that but once you see the point that you need a change in law to stop what is going on at the border now you're done because it's never going to happen it's like saying if pink unicorns could fly So, um, there you have it. You need to focus on current law, which leads me to the next point that, and it's all tied together, this is a distraction. Let me give you a perfect analogy. You buy a nice piece of property, has a home on it, and throughout the process of purchasing it, you have your eye on this part of a roof that looks like it's going to start leaking small part it's part of the roof looks like it's going to start leaking and you're starting to prepare and make promises hey you know when i take over this property here i'm really going to address that and fix that it's a big priority it's very important you don't want a leaky roof you get in there and before you could get a chance to deal with that suddenly the basement foundation and wall falls down and a river flows into your basement and you have eight feet of water in your basement. <laughs> well, you can't deny that making sure your roof is good, even in that spot, is very vital. But at the same time, in the context of living with a river flowing in your um, basement right now, it's irrelevant. And if you focus on that, you're an idiot. And you're just distracting and basically countenancing the notion that there's no problem. You're not bothered by what's going on. And that's the same thing here. We feel very strongly about chain migration and to make legal immigration what it should look like. But my gosh, that's no longer the issue. Not for now. We've gone backwards. That's when it appeared that illegal immigration was finally going to come to an end in 2017. They were like, heck, now let's move on to fixing legal immigration. But with what is going on at our border and all its cascading effects, are you kidding me? Now we're gonna sit and have a distraction of a of a discussion over visas and had a what's merit based and what's not. It's never gonna pass anyway, so it's only aspirational. Again, I, I would take it if you could press a button and pass it, I'm fine with it. You know, I gotta see the details, but broadly what's being discussed, the principles, but it's never gonna pass. And it's not the issue, and the thing that is the issue can be and needs to be addressed with current law, which you have now ceded by saying you need a new bill to fix it. That's my problem with it. It's a complete distraction. And then again, look, I'll take incremental progress if it passes, but the problem is this is not passing, and if it's just an aspirational document, We already have an aspirational document. It's Trump's campaign promises. Why do we need to reaffirm them in a watered-down approach? Meaning, they're very adamant that even in the most right-wing, aspirational starting point of negotiations, it is no longer this administration's position to reduce the numbers. That's a problem. Again, I'm, don't unless someone would call me a purist if you had the ability tomorrow to keep 1 to 1.1 million legal immigrants a year albeit you would reshuffle it in a way that it would be more high skilled wouldn't add wouldn't subtract yeah I mean who wouldn't take that but it's not happening this is just aspirational so you are now moving that over 10 window it's no longer even a legitimate view to hold harbor hope for or aspire to towards. To, even, to reduce the numbers. That that's roughly my problem with this business. So it's just gonna wind up getting into Amnesty, it's gonna wind up getting into DACA, and that's another thing. <clears throat> that's another thing. If Trump wants to negotiate with Democrats and, 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 and Kushner wants to negotiate There's a better way of doing it rather than opening the door for like, okay, we, we we really need to continue DACA, but what are you going to give us in return? Well, Democrats are like nothing because we know you want it and you're going to give it to us for free. What they need to be doing, if you want to negotiate leverage, what you need to do is A, harness the budget bill. No standalone bill is ever going to pass. It's all budget negotiations. So as this gets back to the first thing we got to. They're caving on the budget spending. So, at least if you're going to do that, demand immigration reforms in return. But they're not. They're caving on that. That's the way you use leverage, but also with DACA. The way to leverage it is by the president announcing tomorrow, as I've said forever, a 90 day Administrative Policy, Administrative Procedure Act, APA announcement, 90 days of comment that we are abolishing DACA once and for all. Okay? Yet, yet, just since that stupid court ruling last January, January uh, 9th, 2018, so 16 months after Trump got uh, promised to get rid of it, they have renewed over 373,000 social security cards or fundable tax credits, work permits for illegal aliens against the law. Okay? And as we noted at the time as we noted and by the way, those numbers were just as of March 31st. You know, it's another uh, six weeks. So who knows what has happened since then. But you know, it's probably close to 400,000, 400,000. But the judge didn't even say that there's a right to amnesty. Now they might do that the next round, but until now, all he just said is that you didn't issue a proper APA. So do a 90, you know, do it for the 90 days, you know, and warn and, But start that process now. He had 15 months to start it. But yet, the administration is too scared to get rid of it. It has nothing to do with the judge. That that's the truth. They want it. That's your whole leverage, Jared. Like that's what's stupid about it. To really there's nothing to do legislatively. Well, there's one thing I want to get to in a minute, but there's nothing to do legislatively. It's all following current law and anything that is going to be good legislatively, you got to win back the house and you got to do it with better Republicans. Really, better party but certainly not with the crop that the White House is endorsing. But the one way you could get them is if you say, right tomorrow you issue an APA, get rid of DACA, 90 days, is poof, it's gone. That's the way to bring them to the table from position of strength. They won't do it. And again, another way is to actually... By harnessing current law and deporting and deporting and deporting, that's another way to get them to cry uncle. But if they're going to say, okay, we can't do anything, Um, we have to, forget about amnesty. We have an open border for everyone now until tomorrow. Not just Central America. I mean, there's a whole report on Africans, a whole bunch of African migrants at a bridge in Laredo. Where is this? Um... KGNS, it's a local Laredo uh, station. Hundreds of African immigrants were seen protesting at a Laredo point of entry on Monday morning. The migrants are claiming that not enough is being done by either the US or Mexico officials to help them get asylum into the United States. You know, they don't say what countries they're from, but I mean, remember when they said, oh, there's some sort of conspiracy when you say, oh, they're coming from all over the world. Hundreds. We're protesting at one bridge in Laredo. So you're telling me, I mean, this administration tacitly is, is doing worse than the Gang of Eight. Again, what was amnesty? Those already here for a certain period of time, you give them amnesty. Here, they're saying that unless we pass a new law, the status quo dictates that we have an open border for the entire world. Now, tomorrow, and forever. Anyone who wants could come. Of course we have no leverage. You're done. Now look, to be fair, the administration one by one is slowly starting some of our policies. Slowly building ten cities. They're slowly having Border Patrol be empowered to adjudicate at at the border the credible fear instead of USCIS officers. Another thing I saw, which they I know they got from me was they're deputizing 150 or so marshals, um, I think park rangers and TSA. Meaning anyone who's a federal officer could be deputized into immigration enforcement as they're sending them to the border. The problem is, at the risk of looking like I'm moving my own goalposts, I'm, I'm happy they're listening, but these were the secondary things I talked about. These were all efforts to enforce and buttress an eleven eighty-two F shutoff. To completely shut off the border flow. And you hold the line at the border and you don't let them come over, so you marshal them the military and you know all the federal Officers, not just you know CBP, to get as much manpower there as possible. But if the manpower is just going to be marshaled into more processing and catching and releasing and cooking and lawyers and transportation in the interior rather than deporting outside the country, then, then there's no point. You're, you're taking what I said and using it for the wrong thing. This is where I got into the half measures last week, where half measures really hurt you. But you see what I'm saying? It's hurting him in these negotiations. But again, this is no longer about your campaign promise. It's very clear at this point that anything you do on chain migration, that's got to wait until the second term. But you sure as heck aren't going to get in the second term if you A, move the goalposts on your own aspirations of not reducing the numbers and B, not endorsing better candidates. And then again, as bad as chain migration is, do you know what's worse than that? Illegal immigration chain migration, where illegals could now come, avoid deportation, and then pay cartels to smuggle in relatives and be the sponsor of them and get money for it and shield them from deportation. I mean, that's worse. Again, you have a little leak in a part of a roof that's bad, but you have a river in your basement that's, let's not get distracted here. And then finally, to the extent that you're going to have legislative initiatives, what the administration needs to be doing is rather than these grand bargain real estate deals from the slumlord, Jared Kushner, you do one-off messaging bills. You isolate one issue that speaks to the news cycle with all these, like after that, officer in California was killed by a previously deported illegal who was shielded by a sanctuary city. Why do they not have standalone sanctuary legislation? Even if they put it in the bill, which I don't know if they are, but let's say they will, it's going to get overshadowed. You get a standalone thing, make them take votes on it. Take votes on the cartels, designating the cartels as terrorists. Take votes on making English the official language, on bilingual ballots. The stealing of our sovereignty, non-citizens voting, speaking to the taking over of Americans. You know, talk talk about the public charge, cutting off benefits for illegals coming in now. And talk about diseases. Have legislation dealing with this. And it what that does is it drives the narrative about what is going on, not this long standing, cumbersome issue of visas, which again, it's important, but people, people don't understand that. This gets back to what we started off the show with. Just thirteen percent recognize how many illegals are coming in, because Republicans have failed to even focus on it. Now you might say, "Oh, this is a great thing." Now, now we're going to have an immigration bill, but the way the, the the goals of it and the messaging behind it, it's a distraction. It doesn't speak to the issues going on now. So again, if your whole thing is you're impotent, you're not going to do anything. Whenever we win elections just for its own sake, fine, I'm giving you advice how to win elections. God forbid, should you ever do anything with it, but at least if you're going to do messaging, do the right messaging that's going to allow you to win the election. This is what makes no sense about this whole ridiculous Kushner thing. So that's that rhino business. By the way, it's just as I'm uh, recording here, I'm getting all these emails um, about allergy advice. <laughs> you guys are the greatest. You know, I, I mentioned yesterday I'm having problems this year with uh, spring allergies, and so many of you have sent me all these ideas. I really appreciate it. Um, makes us feel like a family here. You know, a family town hall meeting, and uh, still trying to find the best way to get everyone together, whether whether it's a Facebook group page or something where we could all just you know get to know each other where you could kind of network but that's the thing we need to get the word out and this is what i'm trying to do is just to raise the prominence of the border and the severity of what's going on why it's so bad Meaning, if you're going to tell me you're powerless and you don't have enough power and you need to win an election in order to get more power to do stuff, at least make the Democrats feel the pain. But nothing they're doing is going to make them feel that pain. And the way to do that is by just pounding away on the truth and doing events and legislative fights that drive the narrative to the border. Don't add in extraneous things. Speak about the problems going on now. Finally, I want to get to foreign policy in Iran for today. I did want to get to the abortion bills in the various states, particularly Alabama, the courts, what to learn from Republicans, why abortion's the one issue that they at least kind of fight on, um, and then – you know all this talk about Roe v. Wade and everything and the role of the courts, but we'll have to save that for later this week. Foreign policy. So this is another area where you see a major rhino betrayal. Your typical stuff shirt Senate Republican is a neocon. In other words, they'll they'll talk tough on Iran, but they're for getting involved in nation building and it's more a virtue signaling thing, not an America first thing. So here you have a president that tries to at least evince somewhat the message we've been trying to give for a while, the vision we've been trying to give of what it means to be a true hawk. You have to articulate what is in your interest. The main interest is your own homeland. Most of our national security, homeland security, national defense, including the military, should be expended towards the border. But then you have to leave the waterways open. You have to have a robust naval and air presence. You don't need to have guys on the ground in precarious situations flung around, very expensive. I mean, there's stuff we could have put all the money into technology, just owning the air, which we don't do. Maybe we'll get into that with Colonel Dan Steiner and some of our, uh, you know, Colonel Dan shows, which I plan to do a lot with him because he's just a wellspring of really putting specifics on some of the principles we've been articulating. But All these people, the Romneys of the world, all these guys criticize the president the minute he wants to pull out of these dumpster fires. Because they always love to get involved. But then the minute he wants to get tougher on Iran, which they officially agree with him on, they're awfully silent. No one's backing him up on, on this. So, you know, he's kind of floundering a little bit. And then he's got people in the administration fighting him. I want to touch on the problem just to build on some of what we've said about Iran the last few days. These idiot Senate rhino neocons have hurt us so much for so long that a lot of people on the right, and maybe some of you in the audience are skeptical, like, hey, why are you provoking another war? Why get involved in Iran? Let's just focus on the border. And if you understand the issues, they tie together. And I understand why people think that because they look at all of our other involvements and they've all been these very painful, expensive ground control operations, invasions, which turn into social work and nation building. Really, what we're calling for is just simple, effective use of soft power and at, at best strike and maneuver when needed. But we can't even do that because of some of the things that people like Bolton have wrongly advocated for in the past. So, you know, for example, here's an article from Reuters. U.S. pressures Baghdad over Iran-backed militias. Secretary of State Mike Peel's surprise visit to Baghdad this month. We talked about that last week. Came after U.S. intelligence showed iran backed Shiite militias positioning rockets near bases housing U.S. forces. So they they basically sent the message to the, the Iraqi government, which is controlled by Iran, rein in your Shiite militias. But Iraq—that's what they are—and you're there to protect the Shias from the Sunnis. How about you get out and let the Sunnis be their problem, rather than sticking your head in the neck in, in their neck and then having problems. That's the issue. So um it's just really frustrating. That basically we can't do anything now because of Iraq. But we shouldn't be in Iraq. It's like, let's say I have a bee's nest in my yard I need to get rid of. And I send out my friend or my family member to stick their neck right near the bee nest. And I plan on throwing a rock at the nest to get it down. Well, yeah, I mean, everyone around me is going to restrain me from throwing that rock because they're scared... You know, either the rock could hit the family member or it will, you know, literally kicking a hornet's nest (laughs) right with a guy there. So you're going to have problems. But how about you get the guy away from there? How about we have all of our forces behind defensive lines so our strike force doesn't endanger anything? I mean, that's the bigger issue here. But you have you know, people in the State Department, and I still don't understand what this means, how Pompeo and Trump can't say, hey, here it is, and this is it. But as much as they're applying maximum se- uh, pressure on oil sanctions, Iran is still allowed to build more nuclear plants. This is from Free Beacon. Free and Beacon, uh, Adam Credo. Iranian leaders announced on Monday the construction of two new nuclear plants, and it remains unclear if the Trump administration views this as crossing a red line since it's abandonment of the landmark nuclear deal. And they go on to say that um, the State Department is continuing problems. Quote, if the State Department is even considering waivers for Iran to expand its nuclear program, if those are even a little bit in play, you have to ask yourself, what else is already a done deal and why that isn't public yet? So there's now rumors that the State Department is helping Iran preserve its facilities. Ted Cruz actually just tweeted this out. Um, Where is this? Let me dig it up for from Cruz because uh, they just had a hearing on this, and he tweeted out that, "Hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are they allowed to keep their facility in Fordo? The State Department is allowing Iran to continue doing research in their nuclear bunker at Fordo. That's the big uh, heavy heavy water reactor." <clears throat> Um, they are unwilling to explain to the American people why they're doing it. Ted Cruz just asked uh Andrea Thompson of the State Department she testified before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. So I'm not sure what's going on with that. But again, I mean, Trump's got to get everything together. You can't do lukewarm hell. But I will say I, you know, I sympathize with him because, you know, even some of his base, I know Tucker and Laura Ingram, and I get where they're coming from. They're saying, like, oh, I don't want look, another war. I mean, come on. But again, we're not we're not asking for that. The Iranian people will deal with it themselves. You just crush them with sanctions. Hezbollah falls. Everything, they have attacked us so many times. These other stupid mud hut munchkins with the tribal warfare in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan, that's nothing. But Iran with the statecraft and Hezbollah is affecting us in our own hemisphere at our own border. So the threats are much bigger. The need to combat them is bigger. If they get nuclear weapons, it's game over. It's not going to go away on its own. It's worse than North Korea because, again, they don't believe in this world. They they want the next world, and they want to bring it upon us. They control the Straits of Hormuz, big shipping lanes. You can't let them have that power. So both in terms of the rationale behind going after them, but then in terms of what we're going to do, we're not asking for nation building. I'm, I I oppose that. You just blockade them there. You crush them. And the people aren't Arabs. They're Persians. There's so much more support for getting rid of them. People still remember the pre-Shah era. So, you know, some of my friends, and I respect them, and I understand their concerns because I I share the concerns everywhere else. But they're comparing it to Libya and other places. It's just not. It's not the same thing. The culture is different. The people are different. Situation's very different. But again, these guys have hurt us. They've depleted, a lot of the neoconservatives have depleted our resources and resolve in so many of these other dumpster fires. So now we don't have stuff for even effective soft power or strike and maneuver because everyone's sick of this. And moreover, we can't even do it because we're still held hostage because we have our troops spread out precariously in Syria and Iraq. Ironically, defending the Iranians. I mean, and the president seems to get this. But again, it's like, it's so frustrating because between having idiots in his his own administration that he brought in, pre-existing idiots in the administration, rhinos rampaging in the Senate, and, you know, a lack of a conservative movement giving some sort of a vision between Heritage and Cato of what a true America first foreign policy looks like then um we're, we're kind of, our, our goose is kind of cooked so that's the story here but yeah I mean I totally understand this administration their problems. I totally get it. I totally sympathize with them. But they can't do half measures. They got to go after the Rhinos. They certainly shouldn't self-immolate. He's got to get rid of Jared. Stay focused. And yeah, I mean, I get it why people like Tucker and Laura, you know, just came out. Washington Post, Washington Times reported... Um, Border agents now say less than 50% of their time is spent patrolling. So Border Patrol is essentially abolished. Essentially abolished. Where are we talking about any of this? Where are we? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. It's a big problem. But it's just like, I'm not trying to beat up on the president here. But it just commensurate with his degree of understanding of the problem is the frustration of him kind of undermining that in other ways or, you know, just being you know, having mixed signals. I mean, I feel bad for him. He really tried to be tough in Iran, and then every step of the way, he's met with problems people sandbagging him in the administration, Republicans not backing him. Then you got the other pre-existing policies and personnel in the Middle East that's undermining him when he never supported that and didn't want that to begin with. This is why I always say it takes a village. You need a movement. You could find someone who's less flawed than Trump and more intellectually consistent and understands the issues better than him, but even that person will have problems. He can't do it alone which is why we need to build a new movement. and The best we can do is put out the information on how severe the problems currently are, not to uh, entreat people to political heroin as if we're winning when we're not, so that they'll understand where we need to get. And the fact that the president is doing some good things is really proof to what I'm saying, that he's open to it, that look at the failures of the conservative movement. If only we had a movement, we had 20 of us doing this on Fox Every Day discussing this, what more the president would do and feel empowered to do? This is going to be our responsibility headed forward in the coming weeks. Anyway, a lot more we left on the table, but I hope we packed in a lot that was informative to you today's show Till next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for so much of your friendly advice and help on my uh, allergies and everything. Keep it coming and you know, advice and news on anything else you feel I'm missing or agree, disagree. You could always email me, dherowitz at blazemedia.com. Till tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.